Salam guys, I'm Mohsin. Welcome to this episode of Millionaire Muslim. Before we get into this episode, we just wanted to spend a few seconds telling you about Islamic Finance Guru or IFG for short. Mohsin and I co-founded IFG in 2015 because we couldn't find content about personal finance and Islamic finance for Muslims like you and I. Nowadays, alhamdulillah, we reach an audience of hundreds of thousands and our goal is to keep providing great content to help you guys. So if you're looking for halal investments and Islamic mortgages or startup funding, check us out at islamicfinanceguru.com. And if you want to get in touch with us directly, you can get me on mohsin at islamicfinanceguru.com and you can get Ibrahim on ibrahim at islamicfinanceguru.com. Enjoy the episode. Looking for a different approach to money? Meet Gatehouse Bank a Sharia-compliant UK bank built for the modern world. We help home buyers to purchase or refinance their home, provide buy-to-let funding for landlords, and offer award-winning savings accounts. Wherever you're going, get there a different way. Get there with Gatehouse. To find out more, visit gatehousebank.com. Before we dive in, I'd just like to say a quick thank you to our sponsor, PensionBee. They have helped over 70,000 customers be pension confident by helping them transfer their old pensions together into one simple online plan. They also have a great Sharia compliant pension option as well, which is why we personally really like them. And you can check out a review of their offering on the Sharia side on our website. Assalamu alaikum and welcome to the IFG podcast. I am Ibrahim Khan, your host, and with me we have Anwar Adam, who's our wonderful guest for today. He is a CFA, and you can tell us what that stands for. I can't even remember, Anwar. But you're also the co-founder of Crowd to Live, which is a really interesting platform that I'm looking forward to getting into for people who want to buy Sharia-compliant houses, right? They want to get access to Sharia-compliant finance. But before we get into all of that, firstly, welcome to the podcast. Whereabouts are you based right now and where? Assalamualaikum, Ibrahim. Thank you for having me today. Our office is based in Fulham. This is where I'm based today. Alhamdulillah. But from your accent, you don't come from the UK, right? <laughs> no, my origin from Morocco. I did all my education in France. I started my career actually in French bank, but then moved to a very young age to Singapore, where I helped the French bank to get an Islamic asset management license in Malaysia. And that was my first experience in Islamic finance more than a decade ago. Amazing. And how was your Singapore experience like? It sounds like you were out there for a number of years, right? Yeah, I've been there for a couple of years and it was amazing. I mean, at the time, I had two job offers, both from French banks, but one was in New York and the other one was in Singapore. A lot of my friends were like, you need to go to New York because this is a big financial hub. But I actually went to Singapore because I know that Malaysia was an Islamic finance hub and I want to get close to an Islamic finance hub. So I went there, worked in wealth management, but very quickly my manager gave me this task of working in the Islamic finance asset management license for the licensing in Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia with Bank Nigara. And by the time I left the bank, we got the license. So that was a good achievement. It allowed me really to look at all the business because when you do a licensing process, you go through the different aspects of the business. And that was a, a great experience. No, definitely. And Anwar, what brought you to Islamic finance? Like, Why were you interested in it in the first place? What attracted you to it? 
I always liked finance, but obviously the problem with finance is a big chunk of it is not Sharia compliant. I needed to work within the Sharia law, so I just put one and one together. Finance on one side, Sharia law on the other side. You put it together, you have Islamic finance. So this is why I started in this industry. It has been great. I started in Singapore, then I moved to Qatar, where I worked with the Qatar Islamic Bank for three years doing structured finance and structured investments. And that was an amazing time because Qatar was booming at the time. And the beauty of it is that I was working on very, very interesting transactions from aircraft financing to power plant financing. So started in infrastructure, then moved to asset management. And I came to London after three years in Qatar as head of asset management for Qatar Islamic Bank in London. During my time in Qatar, I got my CFA. What's that stand for? Chartered Financial Analyst. So it's basically the golden stamp for wealth and asset management. No, I can imagine. And so, like, for people who don't know that this world, what does being an asset manager and being involved in Qatar Islamic Bank and what were you actually doing in simple terms? What did your day-to-day job look like? What were you up to? Okay, so in the bank... You have different departments. Basically, I was the front end, so I was in the front office. And in the front office, you speak with clients. And basically, what you do is you try to solve clients' problem. So the client might need some financing. The client might need some investments. And basically, you come and you structure financing solution or investment solution for the customer. So when I was in Qatar, our customers were mainly corporates and big investment firms and high net worth individuals, but on a day-to-day is you find a solution and then once the solution is found, it's the beginning of the journey because then as a bank, you need to convince the risk that this is a good product, then you need to convince the compliance that this is a good product, then you need to sit with Sharia scholars to explain them the structure and that it's in line with Sharia law. So basically, once you have the solution, then the solution needs to go through different filters, risk, compliance, Sharia. And then once that is done, then you speak with the central bank. Then the central bank is asking more questions, viewing it from a different angle. And the aim of the game is to get the approval of everybody before launching the product. So this is what I was doing within an Islamic bank. But that was difficult. (laughs) That was difficult. Because from the innovation point of view, working with a bank environment, you have a lot of limitation on what you can and can't do. And I know that a lot of people are complaining about Islamic finance. Sometimes the structures replicate a little bit what conventional banks are doing. But what people need to realize is that actually there is a central bank behind it. And this is what the central bank is asking Islamic banks to do. They don't want them to go too far away from what they are used to because then you're taking a risk that they don't want to take. Unfortunately, an Islamic bank is still a bank and still has the same limitation and regulatory framework than a bank. So this is why I moved a little bit from the bank's financing kind of thing and moved into the fintech world. Yeah, no, makes sense. And so when did this whole crowd to live and doing your own startup, when did this whole journey start? And was there any like pivotal point that started it? Yeah, so I always try to find solution, right? So working in asset management, that gives me a little bit of leeway in terms of product structuring. Because when you do asset management, it's not 
with the bank's money or the bank's book. So you are more open into structuring products. That was good. I did at the time an MBA at Imperial College. The MBA that I did at Imperial was uh, one focusing on entrepreneurship. And at that point, I started looking at how I could create something that is Sharia compliant, are helping people, offering a non-debt product, but still makes commercial sense. So it was an executive MBA over two years. I worked on that for two years. And when I finished my MBA, I looked at this new phenomenon at the time called crowdfunding. And I said, you know what? This actually do make sense. You don't need a bank in the middle anymore. You just have a platform that matches people that need funds and people that have funds to invest. And we can do that in a Sharia compliant way. So I started working on this business model. And at the same time, I got an offer to go and work for the Qatar Financial Center, the regulator. And for me, it was a huge opportunity to actually try to do something on the regulatory side. The regulator was the person that hired me because of my knowledge in Islamic finance. But after a year, I just decided to focus 100% on setting up my Islamic finance platform. And this is how the journey started. Tell the listener what Crowdtilive does, actually. That would be helpful for the listener. And then once you've told us that, tell us how you got to this point, because this product didn't just appear. There was yeah. a lot of hard work and iterations before this. So what Crowdtilive does is that I looked at where do you have the most debt in the market. New life, when do you take the biggest chunk of debt? And for most people, it's buying a home. This is the biggest items that you will buy and most of the time this is the biggest debt that you will get. So as the aim is to push for equity business model and the biggest debt is on property, I decided to look at the property market. And like I said, initially we started with a simple crowdfunding business model. We find a property, we find investors that want to invest in this property and we buy the property and then we rent it, give the return to the investors, the normal crowdfunding business. But at a very early stage, one thing that we actually wanted to do is to look at the financing side. How can we provide a business model that is not date-based, that don't have any interest, but still allow people to get into the property ladder, to buy a home? And started studying a little bit the different business models that we have in the UK. And shared ownership is something that is quite an interesting business model where you part own, part rent your property. But there is so many limitations on shared ownership. You know, most of the time it's with new builds and not every property in the market is allowed to be a shared ownership. And then also you cannot own fully the property. will always be part of it. You will not own. So there is so many limitations. So we moved a little bit from the pure crowdfunding business model. And we started iterating between crowdfunding and shared ownership. And we have been talking about the process, one of the most difficult things that you need to do is to get an FCA license. And that is not a small task. <laughs> to actually have the FCA saying, yeah, your product is okay, you can launch it. It's not a small task. And it took us a year, a year and a half to go through all the questions and any questions that you can imagine, that any worst case scenarios that you can imagine, you really get grilled. But this is why also, you know, the world is looking at the UK as first in class in terms of financial system. And we managed to get our FCA license. That was a huge achievement. And by this process of iteration, we launched Crowd to Live 
which basically is a part-owned, part-rent business model. In the Sharia term, it's a musharaka, it's a diminishing musharaka with a ijara part in top of it. So basically you co-own the property with the investors and you pay rent on the ownership that you don't have. We have been working with quite a few people in the Islamic finance industry to push this product forward. And alhamdulillah, the traction has been quite strong. Alhamdulillah. And Anwar, talk to me about like the challenges of setting, like people might not be fully cognizant of how difficult it can be sometimes to set up a fintech, but in particular an Islamic fintech. What would you say are the biggest challenges that a young Islamic fintech company faces when they come to market for the first time? Well, I think there is a lot of education that needs to be done. The customer that you're interacting with don't know the product, don't know you. So it's not like you have a car or you want to buy a car and you know what a car does. Here you need to explain what is the product and you need to convince people that, okay, this product actually makes sense and you need to educate the investors that are not used to invest in this way. So I think the education part is challenging. But then you have the IT side, making sure that the platform is working, that your payment processing is working properly, the due diligence is working properly, you know, streamline the operational process in a systematic and sound way. So all the IT and compliance, that's a big task that you need to do as well. And really bringing the awareness of what you're doing to the market. Why should people care about what you're doing? That's the biggest thing. So you're coming and you're like, okay, I offer something new. Why should we care? That's the main question that fintech need to ask themselves, being Islamic or not. Why should we care? Why is the product exciting? And you need to answer those questions. You need to bring something new to the market because the market is working with or without you. So you need to prove that you are adding something that was not there. That's basically the biggest challenge. Makes sense. And how exactly does it work from, let's say I want to buy a house and I don't want to go for an Islamic mortgage for whatever reason. And I want to go for a pure, like just shared ownership scheme. And I come across crowd to live. How is it going to work? And what are the key things I need to kind of be aware of? The first thing is that you need to register on the platform. And once you're registered on the platform, you're allowed to submit properties that you would like to buy. So you can either do the search on our website or you can go to the Zoopla on the market or any online platform to find the property. Once the property is submitted, we look at it and we look at the key things. Is this property something that investor would be interested in? And we have a list of criteria for that. Once the property has been accepted, we ask people to go and view the property, make sure that they like the property. And if they like the property, then we take over and we negotiate the purchase price with the estate agent and the seller. Once we agree on the price, then we ask for the people that choose the property to pay for a risk survey. And basically what does a risk survey do is that it looks at the property and identify any structural issue or any issue with the property. So to make sure that basically we don't have any structural defect in the property. And the report also is telling you what is the property worth based on the survey. And here we see if the price that we're paying is in line with the survey below or higher. If the survey comes and it's positive and there is no problem, then with the due diligence, affordability test and everything on the champion, uh, collecting all the documentation and everything, when everything is fine, then 
we show this investment to investors. We ask the person that brings the property and that wants to live in the property to come with a minimum of 5%. Minimum is 5% ownership in the property to have skin in the game. And then we raise the money through our investor channels. So the investors then buy, like for example, if somebody's coming with 10% and the property is worth 100,000, we come with 90,000, our investors invest 90,000, the champion invests 10,000, yeah. and the property is bought. And then the person living in the property is paying a rent on the ownership that they would own. And on a quarterly basis, they can increase their ownership by buying more ownership from the investors, but they don't have to. It's not like a mortgage where you have a maturity and you need to pay back all of the money within a certain time frame. Here, you don't need to buy the whole, the whole property. If you want to, you can, but you don't have to. And this is why it is a shared ownership. So it's part own, part rent business model. And Anwar, let's say someone has a property that they've identified. Is there like a lag between the stage where you say, okay, yep, this is good to go on the platform and you're raising that money? Is there like uncertainty there? How do you deal with that? Yeah, I mean, there is definitely uncertainty. But as we are doing our due diligence, we know if the property is going to go through or not. In terms of time frame, we are buying properties all the time. So we know what are the things that can go wrong. So yes, you can like the property, you agree on the price, and then you do the survey, and you realize that the roof needs replacing, that there is crack in the house, that there is damp. It's a better suite kind of situation because you're happy that we did the survey and we didn't buy a property with issues, but you need to pay for the survey. So we tend to look at if we see that the property through the picture needs a renovation, we tend not to move with these properties. So that's one thing that can go wrong. And then when you do the conveniencing process, you need to make sure that there is no charge on the property, that there is no issue on the legal side. So there is uncertainty. You are not going to come with a property and 100% of the time you're going to buy that property. But that is not something that is specific to our platform. It's just buying a property is not a certain thing. The process is not certain. At any point, the seller can come around and say, no, I changed my mind. I don't want to sell the property anymore. So there is a part of uncertainty, but I think the nice thing that we bring also on the table is that we are helping in the process because it's something that we do all the time. By people that buy property, they might do that once or twice in a lifetime. We do that every week. So there is questions because some people get stressed in the process and we think we are here to support them throughout the process and say, okay, don't worry, it's normal, but we're going to help you buy your home. Because at the end of the day, this is the beauty of what I was saying earlier. What do you bring to the table? This is the beauty of what we're doing is that we allow people to get in the property ladder, to buy a property, to buy a home without a riba, without debt. And I think this is an important task. If, uh, if we manage to save the few family from the debt environment and the interest environment, it will be a success. No, for sure, Anwar. And how do you see the landscape developing over the next five, ten years? I know one of the big challenges in this whole space, even surprisingly for the Islamic banks who now have billions of dollars, billions of pounds under management, the big problem that I've heard from people in the industry, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, is that you need just a large amount of money and have economies of scale 
for the whole thing to kind of work. Can you just like explain to us as someone who kind of works in this industry what that point is and I guess how you're trying to think about tackling that in the years to come? Definitely, but I think it's a generic problem. It's how do you scale up? The key question is how do you scale up? Obviously, it takes time and your value proposition need to adapt full time on who you are talking with. So people that bring us property, it's going to be families and that's not going to change. On the investor side, we are focusing right now on family offices and high net worth individuals. And that is going to take us so far. And then we need to tap into institutional money. And this is how you really scale up the businesses when you get into talk with asset manager where they have billions of pounds to invest. As any platform, you always need to balance out the two sides of the platform. And this is a challenge that is actually specific to a double-sided platform. But at the end of the day, there is a clear path for our business, at least, on how we're going to grow and match people that want to buy property with money to buy those properties. Anwar, what's your conversations been like when you talk about this product to the Muslim community? What have their, what's their response been like? And is there an education element that needs to be done here? Or is it quite straightforward and people kind of just get it? No, I think people do understand and people love the product because if you look at the market today, we are the only ones that offer 100% equity solution without debt whatsoever. So people do like that and appreciate, appreciate that. But like I was saying earlier, this still needs to be an education because it's still something that is not mainstream. People have questions, but it's not a question because they are Muslim or they are part of a Muslim community. It's just a normal question that people would ask. I think, to be fair, on the Sharia side, we got a very positive feedback because people can't believe that there is absolutely no debt behind it. So they keep asking. And they use terms like, what is the maturity? There is no maturity because it's not a debt product. And it's like, ah, okay, okay, yeah, 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 you're right. I think because it's new and because it's 100% equity, you need to really explain to the people, but the traction has been very strong and people have been very supportive of this product. But yes, you still need to educate people and you still need to answer the question. We try to put as many FAQs as possible on the website. But yes, the feedback has been positive. And the thing that is also interesting, and it's something that is really close to my heart, is that non-Muslim are also using the platform. And the fact, it's something I think that is very important is that Islamic finance should not just be for Muslim. We should try to do good things broadly, just for a specific community. We need to add value to society in general. I'm really pushing for that. We need to show that Islam in general can add positive things to society. And Islamic finance is part of it. But if we can help people get out of debt, if we can help people into the property ladder, without incurring debt and paying interest, it is positive. And the whole idea of the business is really to have a positive impact on society, which, again, is part of what Islam is about, right? At the time of the Prophet, the first thing that he did when he came to Medina was not to preach about Islam. It was like, okay, how are we going to take all these refugees and build an economy where people can eat and sleep and be safe? That's the first thing that the Prophet did. So, here, the aim is the same, is how can you help people and make people happier or more comfortable and then 
you have done what needed to be done and you had this positive impact. Definitely. And I guess Anwar, the final thing that I really wanted to ask, and I like to ask guests this, is where do you see yourself in five, ten years time? And like, what's the mission that you're trying to achieve here? And like, what does that world look like when that mission is achieved? The aim of the business is to offer non-debt products. So the vision that I have is a new way to do finance that is more responsible, less prone to crisis, and is not debt-based. Being Sharia compliant or not Sharia compliant, not debt-based. I think you cannot use Musharaka in everything, but I think a Musharaka structure, when you are a partner with somebody, it brings people together. When you're on one side, you have a lender, and on the other side, you have somebody that's borrowing money, you divide people. There is two groups of people, and one is the top of the other. So I'm really pushing for equity, partnership business model. We start with property because this is the biggest problem, but what I would like is to offer different products for other things. How do we help people to finance their degree? Education is a very important asset something that you have all your life. So how do we help people not get into debt? Because today you have a lot of students that are getting out of university, don't really manage to find a job that matches their skill and their degree, but they have 40, 50, 60,000 pounds of debt. Do I think that's a good way to start your working life? No. And this push you to take any job. <laughs> and that's not good. So I think historically... People have taken debt because it was easy. It was an easy short-term solution. But as you can see over the last few years, all the crises that came to the market were debt-based. Too much debt in the economy, and you had a financial crisis. The last three or four crises, they were all debt-based. The one that we have now is health-based, but all the other ones were debt-based. I'm dreaming of an economy and finance world where there is less debt and more partnership, more equity. People are bringing together resources to push for the common good. No, I pray that we achieve it, inshallah. Look, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. I'd love to check in with you maybe in a year's time and see how obviously we'll be in touch in any case more regularly, but I'd love to get you back onto the podcast and just see how your perspective has changed, how your journey has gone since this day. And yeah, Jazakallah khair once again for jumping on and sharing your story. I think it's really, really interesting to hear the international element of it as well. And then now this tussle that you're having with creating a new way of essentially doing finance. So yeah, Jazakallah khair for jumping on. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. If you got this far, you must have enjoyed the podcast, which means you'll definitely love our other episodes and other content we produce as well, inshallah. Be sure to check out the website, islamicfinanceguru.com, as well as our YouTube channel and social media. Until next time, assalamu alaikum.